0: Good morning. You guys are lively. I like that about you. Uh, I have a thing for bad infomercials. Like, I just think I have a, bad, a thing for bad TV in general. I'm not really sure why, but I, I, I do weirdly like infomercials. Uh, and it does feel like the worse the infomercial, the more I, intriguing I find it, and the longer I will linger, much to the chagrin of my wife, which is like, seriously? Seriously? And I don't know about you, but when you watch these things, these ads seen on TV, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's those like ads seen on TV products, you see it like, there's two things that are always true about infomercials, all right? The first is that the people in the before part of the infomercial are seriously concerning, like really concerning those people. The people in the front that show you how not to do it, like some of these people seem barely able to function. Let me show you what I mean. No, we haven't all done that. I, I think there's a better solution. Stop letting that guy crack eggs. Who cracks an egg like, here, honey, I want some scrambled eggs? Who does that? It really does feel like a lot of those problems could be solved without the product they're supposed to endorse, but just by like, being a functional human being. Like, m- maybe not bring eight pots and the spaghetti at one time. And had that one woman ever seen Saran Wrap before? It's not even that they're bad products, right? Some of them look look super helpful, but what gets me is just how overwhelming some of this stuff is, right? It's like, is watering your plants an overwhelming task? Mm. Seriously? How big is your property? I just find that stuff so compelling. I just find it so funny. And that is always true of infomercials, that those people in the beginning have no idea what to do. But the second thing that's true about infomercials There's two. Second is they always incentivize word of mouth, right? They always will end by saying something like, buy one, and if you act today and promise to tell your friends, we'll give you 17 more to share. It's like you've entered into some sort of social contract where you promise to give those away. Like they're going to show up at your house and go, "Uh, there's 18 in your drawer. You promised to give 17 away. But that's what they do, and there's a reason for that. There's a reason why they incentivize word of mouth, and that's because it's incredibly effective. Word of mouth advertising is incredibly effective. And we see that in all, in all different ways, but I'm gonna just wanna point out two. One is, you remember the Ice Bucket Challenge for ALS research? Remember that? It just blowing up over social media two, three, three years ago? They raised $115 million for ALS research. And they didn't give you anything. I mean, literally, it was people pouring ice-cold water over their heads and other people going, ooh, I want to do that too. <laughs> but when they saw their friends participate in this, like, it, it, it draws us in, right? It, we see how people we know and we trust experience something, and we believe that more. We're willing to buy in more when we see how, what it means to them. Zappos is an online retailer and their CEO said that they intentionally budgeted for extraordinary customer service at the expense of advertising. They did that on purpose because they expected that their sales would be driven by repeat business and word of mouth rather than by marketing. And they were right because last year uh, they took in $2 billion in sales. So, you know, it worked. It worked. And word of mouth isn't just effective in in these product-based arenas. I mean, it's true when it comes to faith as well. It matters when you talk about what God has done in your life for people around you. It matters when it's not, here's something I'm going to throw at you that you should do, but here's something that has changed me. Here's my story and my journey. As we continue our series on All In about these initiatives that are part of our strategic plan, we're going to look at the second one today, which is Invite. Now, I'm a big fan of invites, right? And and what I want you to hear me say is that we want you to invite people to church. Like I work at a church. Bring people to church. I am pro church. Big fan. We want you to do that. We want you to feel free to do that. We we are thinking through, we think planned services, thinking through how to engage with your friends. But if inviting someone to church is all that invite means, we miss so much of what we're being called to do and really being allowed to participate in. Because when we talk about invites, we don't just mean this idea of that you tell someone something, like, hey, show up at this time, at this place. It's this idea that we see in the Bible about being missionaries, that we are all missionaries. Sometimes our perception of a missionary is someone who has to go somewhere far away to a different culture and a different language and eat weird food and not have a toilet. Like sometimes that's what we think. But the reality is, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a missionary, and your mission field may not be a foreign country. Your mission field is going to be where you live, where you work, where you play, your office, your neighborhood, your family. We are meant to be a sent-out community. We saw that last week when we talked about Connect, that when God created the world, he sent humanity into the world. He said, be fruitful, multiply, go out. We're not supposed to stay. The point is not to create some sort of Christian safe place where we, once we come to know Jesus, we can gather and keep the world out and kind of collect ourselves and be protected here. The point is we're supposed to live out in the world. We need to be engaged, and to be engaged, we need to be involved. We need to move across the fence to our neighbors, to our coworkers, our friends, to the people in our lives. We need to be culturally engaged because the Bible was culturally engaged. These stories are written to a a specific people at a specific time and a specific place and use specific language and specific images and specific metaphors, and we're supposed to engage the same way. We can't communicate with people if we don't understand their lives. There's great purpose and great intentionality in the way that God reached out to us, and we're going to look at that in John chapter 1 this morning as we unpack what it means to invite If you want to turn with me, John chapter 1, we're going to look at the first couple verses there. It starts out, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the father's heart. He has revealed God to us. He has revealed God to us. Man, there's a lot of stuff in these verses. There's a lot of stuff, and there's more than we're going to be able to unpack this morning. But there's just a couple big ideas that I want to highlight. And the first is this, that when we see the Word, in the beginning the Word, the Word was God, the, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word is Jesus. And there's real reason and real purpose and real intention that John says the Word. It's this Greek word known as logos, right? What John is doing is he's speaking to people that are engaged with and part of the Greco-Roman culture. And so he uses a Greek philosophical idea that they would have been familiar with in order to point them towards God. Rather than say, everything you believe is fundamentally wrong, he says, let me take something you know that you're familiar with, let me speak into your language and your culture and your context, and let me point you to God. What logos was, what the word was, is this idea that there's a, this metaphysical force in the universe that's part of life. It's almost as if, you're, if you're a Star Wars fan, it's almost like the force. All right? if, you want to, if that helps, you can think of it that way. And so what he's doing is he's referencing something that they were familiar with, and he's reappropriating it. He's repurposing it and saying, that force is real, but it's not what you think. It's Jesus. That Jesus is God's son, that Jesus is eternal, he said the word was with God and the word was God, that you could substitute Jesus for the word and you would get the same reading, that that Jesus was with God and Jesus was God, that Jesus existed in the beginning with God, that everything was created through Jesus. What I love about this though is, is what it says in verse 14. This is what's really significant for us today because in verse 14 it says, so the word became human, and made his home among us. The word became human and made his home among us. And what he's saying there is this, that God spoke to us in a way that we could understand, that God met us there, met us through, through his son becoming flesh. Jesus is God who stepped into time. Jesus is God who put on flesh. God with a face. That's who Jesus is. There's some smart people in the room here, right? There's some smart people in the room. Now you, you, there's engineers. There's people who know more about Crops and plants and building things, I mean, than I will ever know. And I respect that and I appreciate that because I look at that and go, I'm impressed. I don't know what that means. I don't understand particle physics. You? No idea. I mean, I know it's a thing. I know that those two words are allowed to go together. And then that's about it. I'm like, I don't know. I can't speak Mandarin. I have no idea. But I know there are people in the world who, under, who do understand particle physics, who can speak Mandarin. And so I look at that and go, man, I, if there are things that real people can understand that I can't understand, th- 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 there's, a, there's a gap there. Now replace me with a child, right? Now place, take, take a child and say an expert on particle physics is going to try and communicate to a child. Well, that's going to be even harder to understand this idea. It's going to be even harder for them to, to really wrap their brain around what particle physics is. Now replace the particle physicist with the sovereign... Lord of the universe, who created everything. We can't possibly understand God for who he is on our own. If I can't understand exactly how an internal combustion engine works, then there is no chance I can understand the God who is outside of time and created the entirety of the physical world. The only hope we have, the only way I can understand is if God moves towards me is if God moves towards us, and that's what Jesus is. Jesus is God's invitation to us, saying, I'm going to speak in your language, in your culture, in your context. I'm going to speak to you the way you need to hear it. I am going to meet you where you are. Not halfway, not 90%. I am going to meet you where you are. Jesus is God coming all the way to us looking like us, living like us, walking like us, experiencing life like us, so that we could understand God for who he is. We could never get there on our own. That's what Jesus does. It says in verse 18 at the end, he has revealed God to us. He's invited us to himself. And we're called to participate in that. Once we know Jesus, once we have a relationship with him, We don't get to say we're done and kick back our heels and say, well, I I have no more responsibilities. We are to participate in this movement towards people. We see this in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, where Jesus says, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's what's known as the Great Commission, And here's the thing, that doesn't apply to some of us. That applies to all of us equally. If you're a follower of Jesus, that applies to us, to participate in God's mission towards people. We are sent out to others. It looks differently for each of us though because of who we are, but it applies to us all. And so as we dive into this more, I wanna leave you with this question to think about this morning. What does this fence represent for you? What barrier is hard for you to cross when it comes to invite, inviting people? What, what gets in your way? Keep that in the back of your mind. We're going to look at three aspects of, of invite, three aspects of the idea of inviting people, what that really means, what it really looks like. And the first is this. We're called to invite people into relationship. Invite people into relationship. Build a bridge to people. I'm sure you found healthy relationships make inviting people to something easier. If we've never met before, if you've no idea who I am, and I come up to you and ask you to go to a movie afterwards, you're going to give me one of these looks. You're going to give me one of the... Who? Me? Because it would be kind of weird. We don't have a relationship. You don't know me. You don't know if I'm going to steal all your popcorn or make you pay for everything. Like, oh, I forgot my wallet. So sorry. You don't know. But if you go up to your best friend, I mean, the, the, done deal. You don't need to explain those things. Healthy relationships make inviting easier. But the problem is we struggle with healthy relationships. We struggle with moving towards people, with loving people first, especially people that are different from us. We struggle with that. We're not great at building relationships as adults. It's one of things I've realized as I've gotten older. It's not even malicious. We just reach that point where life is full. We've got families, we've got friends, we've got people we've known, and we just reach that point where it's like, I just, I don't even know I'd say it out loud, but it's like, I just don't, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't have the energy for it. Partly because we, we have connection, right? I, think, I don't think it's because we don't care about connection. I think we long for it, but we found it in some small pocket in whatever it looks like, friends or or coworkers or family or whatever, and we're like, that's fine. I'm just going to use that for just substitute for everything, and I don't really feel like making any effort. We reach that point, you know, where it's like, man, I'm just tired, Right? I, don't, like, I don't want to make new friends. I'd love to have more friends, but I don't want to make new friends. And we chalk that up to busyness or time or just struggling to maintain relationships with all that's going on, or we just don't really want to. And sometimes we act like the goal of life is to live like an island unto ourselves, where we have everything we need, when the reality is we are called to live in a city with other people, part of the fabric of community. You can't invite someone in until you have reached out to them because relationships rarely happen without someone being intentional, right? You don't stand next to someone and then it's just like, hey, we're friends now. Somebody made an effort. Somebody did. This is something that Paul totally understood in 1 Corinthians 9. Paul explained this idea. Paul felt so compelled to reach out to people. He says, you know, listen, even though I'm a free man with no master, I become a slave to all, to win people to Jesus. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law, even though I'm not subject to that law. He's like, when I was with the Gentiles, then I lived apart from the law so that I could connect with them. When I'm with those who are weak, I share in their weakness, when I want to, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. I try and find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Paul understood it's going to take effort, and I'm going to do everything I can do to reach out to others. And that perfectly fits with our vision as a church. We'll do whatever it takes to reach our community for Christ, whatever it takes. We'll move first. We'll take those steps, including inviting people into relationship. And listen, I know that's hard. I feel it myself. It can absolutely be scary. Being intentional can be really difficult. We experience these kinds of situations every day. Every day. Oh,
1: man. It's hot out today. Oh, hey, neighbor. Hey, what's up? Not much. Oh. Sure is hot out, huh? Yeah. It hasn't rained in a while. Yeah, My grass is really struggling over here. It's really dry. Yeah, mine too. Uh, you know, it's like a mix of... Fescue and that ryegrass stuff. I don't know. It just needs lots of water. Oh,
0: you know what? I was just, I was just totally thinking fescue. It's got
1: that fescue vibe to it. it really feels like fescue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can really tell by the blade thickness.
0: Right. Totally blade yeah. thickness. Yeah. Absolutely. Totally. That's totally
1: what it was. I mean, it's no, it's it, it's no Bermuda grass. Well, let's right? not get crazy. That's like the
0: Taj Mahal of grasses, right? Right. right.
1: It's like you know, PGA in my backyard, yeah, right? Yeah. Bermuda. I can't that's beat good stuff. It. Bermuda yeah. grass. That's good stuff. So. Man, I gotta mow my lawn, it's looking high. Hey, I did get a new mower, though. Really? Yeah, 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 man, brand new. It's uh, really? uh, one of those Hondas. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's got like 8.3 feet torque, something. I don't know, Seriously? it's got like dual blades. Let me tell you, you put a flux capacitor oh, on that thing. Goodness. We're going back in time, wait, 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 baby. It's
0: the one with the, the dual thumbstick Yeah, that's it right there. The twin yeah. blades? Oh, it's awesome. That thing
1: looks incredible. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Man, I bet oh. that cuts like a dream. Look, I mean, look, look at that lawn. Yeah. Best yeah, on the block, nice. best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nice. It's the best. Uh, so, uh,
0: how are you? How are you guys? How's your How's your family? Yeah.
1: Oh, uh, good. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're we're busy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 You know, good though. Yeah, totally right? get that. Yeah. yeah. Um, us too. You. Like, totally us yeah? Two, yeah. Okay. Cool. You yeah. know,
0: good, busy, just like life and school starts and yeah. summer's gone. You know, you know all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Summer.
1: I mean. Is there really a summer anymore? I know,
0: right? right? It's like we should make up, like, wanted posters. Like, wanted, one summer. Where did it go? You know? Right. Put them around the neighborhood.
1: Yeah, wanted. Yeah. Okay. Well. That'd be good. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, uh, I've got some other stuff to do in the backyard, so, I mean, maybe we'll see you around. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's good to see you. Yeah, you too.
0: We settle for those kind of superficial relationships, that kind of shallow interaction. That bare minimum of, I acknowledge your presence as a human being on the earth. And then it's like, but that's it. That's all I have. That's, that's enough for me. But I don't think it really is. And it's not what we're created to do. We can have more. The point is not to build a bridge to someone and stop. It's to build a bridge and then cross the bridge. Use the bridge to engage with them, to invite them into your life. That's what we were created to experience. In fact, hey, Sean. Sean. Yeah, yeah. Hey. Hey. Dude, I, I'm, so, I'm sorry to bug you. No, you're... you're Bethany okay. and I have been talking for a while about having your family over for dinner, and I'm supposed to set that up, and I keep forgetting.
1: We'd love to have you guys over. You got any time this week? Um, you want to have us over? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah, I got time this week. Um, I think, like, like Thursday night or something? Thursday's great. All right. But, let me check with Bethany. That's great. Well, yeah, let me check, too, man. I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> I totally get that. All right. That's yeah, right yeah, yeah good seeing you. Thanks, yeah. Sean. I appreciate All that. Yeah, looking Thursday?
0: Forward looking forward to it. Yeah. All right, looking forward to it. Dinner as well. It can be that simple. Intentionally engaging with people, being purposeful, not just settling for the surface, but saying, I'm going to engage. I'm going to take another step and another step and another step and move towards them and make it easy for them. I'm willing to be inconvenienced or uncomfortable for their sake. Because the second thing about invite is that we we need to invite people into our lives to cross that bridge, It's not just enough to know people exist. Sharing life together is a much deeper, much more purposeful action because you get a chance for people to know you and see you and understand who you are and to see what matters to you. It's not enough to just throw words at them, but to say, this is how it's true for me. Think about what do people know about you? What do people know about you? If you tell people you love ice cream, but you never eat it, like that doesn't really make sense I don't really believe you. What I want to see is what's true of your life. If you tell me you work out every day and I stay at your house and you don't ever leave the couch once, I'm not going to believe that you work out every day. It's not just what we say. It's the way we live. What do people know about you? What do you care about that is shown through your life? Live life with people. It's that simple. Be, live life purposefully and Intentionally. Be honest about who you say you are with those around you. That's basically what we're asking. Be honest about who you say you are. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, then be honest about that. That's it. You don't have to be able to stand up in front of thousands of people and share. You don't need to know every answer. I don't know every answer. Are you willing to be honest about who you say you are, though? It's not about waiting for the right moment to ambush someone. It's not about shouting Bible verses at them just so you can check a box and go, yeah, I shared the Bible with somebody today. It's like, no, you threw it at them verbally. It's really a long conversation that's gonna take days and weeks and months and years. It's engaging with people for the long haul. Win the right to be heard. Win the right to be trusted. Live out this truth. I was roommates with a guy in college who was a chemical engineer, and he had some guys in his program that were big partiers and and very different from him. And I went with him when he was engaged up to Penn State, we are Penn State, to the blue and white game, which is the spring football game, for his bachelor weekend. And we got there, and they were hanging out with these guys, and they brought these cases of wine, which I thought was interesting because it was nine in the morning. And they're just very different from him. He's not like that. But what I knew about him, I understood why he was doing this. Because what he's saying is, I need to be willing to live life with them to show them that that I care, to, to live out what I say is true. If I disengage and judge them from afar, I lose the opportunity to influence them for Jesus. I lose the opportunity to speak truth into their life. His invite didn't matter if he wasn't willing to live it out. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says it this way. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives as well. Live life with people. Dive into the reality of what it means to be human. We, we hurt, we celebrate, we rejoice. The, all of that stuff, get into that, live that out with people. Because that's where the richness is found, and that's where we win the right to be heard and trusted. That we're not just shouting things at people, we're hearing their story and understanding how the hope of Jesus can matter to them. Because ultimately, that's why we're here as a church to invite people to Jesus. I mean, that's what we want. And not just people who don't know him yet, but I need to be invited back to Jesus every day. I need to be reminded about what it means to be known and loved by him. I need to to live in that truth. I love that idea that Jesus is the light who comes into the world, who gives light to everyone. He came to make his home amongst us so we could understand better who God is, that light illuminates and brings truth, and that's what Jesus did God moved towards us first through his son. God invites people to himself and then invites us to do the same. It's not about us. It's about Jesus and it's about others. And so we need to care deeply about others and also we need to not let our stuff, our baggage prevent us from doing that. Because when we don't reach out, the reasons why we don't are far more about us than they are about others. They're far more about us. We make assumptions on other people's parts that they're not interested or they won't care or it's not their thing or they'll just say no. We assume they're not interested and so we don't engage and that issue is ours, it's not theirs. How could we possibly be convinced that Jesus is the greatest hope we'll ever know and then not look to love others and share that with them? How could we do that? God has moved towards us first That's why we have to be purposeful about taking those steps because we don't come to it naturally. And so we intentionally and purposefully purposefully say, I'm going to move towards you. I'm going to make the effort. I'm going to look to engage. I'm going to live life with you. Though that looks different for all of us because we're different. If you're here this morning and you're an introvert, you're hearing me talk about this and you're breaking out into a cold sweat going, I've got my circle. I'm not a huge fan of bringing more people into that. it's exhausting for you to put out that kind of relational effort, that relational energy. And so this can look intimidating, particularly because the church has a tendency to celebrate extroverted ministry. The challenge for you as introverts is you need to be purposeful and intentional to develop relationships that you can have influence in. Purposeful and intentional. You don't need many. And so how do you be purposeful to develop more? Not 50 more, but how do you be purposeful to develop more? Leverage your strengths to build relationships where where people can hear you share about the hope of Jesus. Be intentional because it may not come naturally to you. Because introverts, you don't get a free pass. It's it's not an excuse to invite. We'll make up our own reasons. Well, this, this isn't true for me because of this reason. But it does apply to us. Leverage the unique way God has gifted you to reach out and, and engage with those around you purposefully. Extroverts, you also need to be purposeful and intentional. Use your gifts and your uniqueness to engage with others. Use your relational nature to draw others in. Talk with others about what matters to you. Be purposeful because taking the long view It's not always easy. It's not just about starting relationships, but building relationships. And it's not just about sharing your story, but purposefully and intentionally drawing somebody else's story out, asking questions and listening and hearing from them. Jerry and I are are very different in a lot of ways, and we're very similar in some ways. For me, I'm a pretty relational person, and so I like conversation, it's life-giving to me, it's energizing to me, I'm pretty extroverted. I found that being a pastor, man, I couldn't hide anymore. And that was a good thing for me. It just forced me out there. What do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. It's like, all right, we're in it now. Let's do this thing. All right. All right. It's like most of the conversations are, how do we get to spiritual things? Like, I'm there, step one. All right. Now, some things come easier than others, right? I find this stuff really easy to talk about, but I have to be super purposeful about building relationships because all of my coworkers, to the best of my knowledge, have a pretty authentic relationship with Jesus because I work here. And so it's hard to find coworkers to engage with. So I have to be purposeful about building those relationships elsewhere. That, that I got to work at that. And for Jerry, his experience is different. If you know one thing about Jerry, it's probably that he's a Notre Dame football fan. Well, I, I imagine he'd probably want you to give him three or four games this season because last year there was a pretty rough year. So before he commits to that this year, just give him, some, give him a little bit of time. But if there's two things you know about Jerry, it's maybe that he's a Notre Dame football fan and that he cares deeply about people and wants people to know the hope of Jesus. He cares deeply. He bleeds that. Jerry is more of an introvert than I am, but he still does this stuff. He builds relationships. He's purposeful. He reaches out intentionally. He prays for people. And he's smart about leveraging his gifting and his wiring and his temperament in order to do that. We are very different people, but we both care deeply about reaching out to others and inviting them in. What does it look like for you? If you're here and you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to hear me say something very clearly to you. I want you to hear me say, you're not a project to us. You're not a number. You're not a means to an end. You're not an empty goal. You are a person who we care about, and a story that matters. And we want you to know the same hope we have. That's why we're here. We want you to know the same hope. We are all equally frustrated and confused and broken. We all have our own stuff. We want you to know we are just like you. We just know where to look for hope. We want you to feel welcome to come with whatever you have, with whatever your struggles are, that you don't have to be perfect. Come as you are. And know that we care about you for you, not because you help us achieve something. If you're here this, this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to hear me say, you need to be living this out or your words ring hollow. The best invitation you can possibly give doesn't matter if your life doesn't match up with it. People have a problem with Christians. Most people don't have a problem with the idea of Jesus. Jesus. And so how do we as Christians look to live out what we know to be true, to allow Jesus to work in us? How do we look to love others the way that we were first loved so that we can reflect back the difference that that has been made in our life? How can we say, I'm not the same as I was, and it's not because I figured it out. It is because Jesus is making me new. It's the difference between being a salesman and being a satisfied customer. How do we live as someone who has received grace has received the love of Jesus and is so overwhelmed by it, we just want other people to know it too. And there's a reason why this matters on a real, tangible level. I mean, we see it all the time. Maybe you're familiar with what happened in Charlottesville this weekend, where there was a gathering of white nationalists and, and an, just an overt display of hate. The Southern Poverty Law Center said it could be the largest hate gathering of its kind in decades in the United States one of the things that I've been wrestling with over the past year, one of the things that God has been getting at in me is will I be aware and engaged enough to recognize the evil of my time? Or will I keep my head down, live my life, and ignore what's going on around me and what the gospel stands for? What am I gonna do? How am I gonna reach out to others? How am I gonna engage with others? How am I gonna move towards others rather than expect me to come Expect them to come to me. What am I going to do with that? Where do I find my hope in that? And I would say there's great hope in John 1.5 because in the midst of seeing this kind of hate on such a public display, we see that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. That's the hope we look to. We have to be intentional and purposeful to invite people into relationship and into our lives because it is so, so hard to hate people when we know them. We stand with the light when we reach out to others. And with that light, we will overcome darkness. We need to live in that light because if we don't, darkness will overcome us. When we know people, when we have relationships with people, when we can put a face with a name and and when we understand a story and we understand experience, it is so much harder to hate people and so much easier to love them. The crazy thing here is that the thing that's really hard is this that when we think about what happened in Charlottesville, God loves those people. Not just the people standing up for truth, but the people who are are spouting out hate. God loves those people, all of those people, and I am supposed to love them too. That's hard. I need to stand up against hate and reach out to those who are affected and marginalized and victimized by it and still look to love those who are hardest to love just like God does because that's me. Because I have run from God and rebelled from him and yet he has in his love and mercy moved towards me. We don't combat hate with hate because that's not what Jesus did. Jesus defeated hate with love and with sacrifice. Folks, one of our fundamental beliefs as a church is that people matter to God. So the question for us is how do we move towards people the way God has moved towards us with the same love and grace and hope we experience? We were all once invited in. We were all once invited in. How can we do the same for others? How can we do the same for others? I wish there was an easy template for this, but because we're different and wired differently, it looks different for each of us. But I can give you three big ideas to think about, three big areas of your life to think about and and to be be purposeful and intentional about. And the first is this, ask God for opportunities to invite. Ask him. It's a great place to start. God, help me. Give me opportunities to reach out to people and, and invite them and move beyond myself. Second thing is look for those opportunities. Once you've asked, look for them. Have eyes to see those chances that are in front of you. How can you simply invite somebody over to dinner? How can you learn somebody's story? How can you help them feel known and understood and welcomed? And the third thing is take those opportunities. Ask God for opportunities. Look for those opportunities and then take those opportunities. It can be as simple as just being intentionally spiritual at least once in a conversation. The win is not someone coming to know Jesus in that moment, though we would celebrate that. I mean, that is amazing. By, by all means, I don't want to talk you out of having somebody do that. If somebody wants, like, man, I want to know what you have. I want to know this Jesus. Don't be like, hey, Josh said we have to wait. It's not about this moment. No. <laughs> but it's about the journey. It's about saying, I'm going to walk with you as long as it takes. I am with you. I am on your team in this. You've got three lines on your paper that says your circle of Three. And as you sit here and as you go home today, I want you to think about who are three people in your life, three people in your sphere, three people in your family, coworkers, neighbors, people at the gym, on a team you play on, who are three people in your sphere you can be purposeful and intentional with? Who are three people you can reach out to? Some of you can think of more than three, and that's fine, but we just we want you to encourage you, just think about, focus on three. For some of you going, I can only think of two, or I can only think of one, or I can't think of any right now, and what I say to you is, that's okay right now, so start there. God, bring someone into my life that that I can be purposeful with. Help me to see those opportunities. Help me to see those people who are here now that I'm not currently seeing, and then look to build bridges with them. Build a relationship with them. Live life with them so that you can invite them to church. Come here on a Sunday, or invite them to your group or the big party that we're having for the five-year celebration. Invite him to a men's event. Invite him to the mops ministry. Invite him to the high school retreat that's coming up. Invite those people. Invite them in. Because at one point, all of us stood on the outside. And we would not be here if someone had not moved towards us first. And certainly not if Jesus hadn't done that. And so how do we do that for others? Would you bow your heads with me as we pray?